You are Locked On Kentucky, your daily Kentucky Wildcats podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to the Locked On Kentucky Podcast. We bring you info and insights on UK football and basketball every weekday. Stay informed by making us part of your morning or afternoon commute. Listen and follow for free on Apple or Google Podcasts. Just subscribe to Locked On Kentucky. I'm Dan Reefer with Fox 56 along with Kyle Tucker of The Athletic. And it was an ugly game, uh, especially that first half, but Kentucky got a win. A win is a win is a win is a win. And even in a win... Uh, Kentucky's not rewarded in like metrics and stuff, but had it been a loss, Kentucky would have tumbled, uh, no doubt in, in, um, the different, you know, Ken Palm and net rankings and all that stuff. But, uh, Kentucky absolutely had to win that game. We're going to discuss that. Uh, also a big win for the UK women's basketball team, a uh, big win for, uh, football, keeping their ace recruiter, Vince Marrow. We'll discuss what he, uh, his comments and explanation for, for sticking around, uh, it's a big NBA All-Star weekend for former Wildcats. Uh, and if we have time, we'll we'll discuss the SEC a little bit um, as we move along. But, yeah, let's start with uh, Kentucky. Obviously, uh, you guys know the numbers on this. We don't have to beat them to death. But uh, they were two for 22, you know, shooting from three and one of 13 from three. And Old Miss's uh, defense had a lot to do with that, keeping them from being able to go – Inside, yet Kentucky still won, you know, points in the paint, 32-20. And uh, afterward, Calipari still had um, uh, no praise for Nick Richards. Just said he got out muscle. Wasn't your day. It's not your day, Nick. Uh, and <laughs> Nick was four or five from the field for 12 points and five rebounds in the second half. I thought he, I thought it was his day in the second half. But I, I understood what Calipari was saying. Um, and this was, I think, the maybe one of the, uh, best comments I heard from anyone is Tyrese Maxey saying, uh, it's important for us to win games like this because this, this stuff can happen to you, you know, especially when you get into March where you're not playing well, something doesn't go right, and you're still able to, to win the game in a, in a tight situation there. And it all came down to making free throws and getting a loose ball and making, you know, a tough shot. That's, that's kind of what it came down to there. Yeah, I, I think the positive is that they, they figured out a way to, to win a game where they went two for 22 from three. They shot a 9%, yeah. 9% yeah. Percent, uh, from three. Um, you know, they, they had Bree and Tyree start to heat up uh, briefly. Um, you know, they trailed by seven in the second half. They were still down by a point uh, pretty deep into that game. And somebody was going to have to make plays. They had to finish the game the last minute and a half without Ashton Hagens and then EJ Montgomery both fouled out. So two of your starters yeah. uh, foul out. And EJ, by the way, we, we can visit this at more length, but he had another really good rebounding game and came up with really probably the play of the game. Yeah, without with a doubt. Yeah. An offensive rebound laying on his back, kicks it out to Maxi for a, a go-ahead bucket late. Um but I think, you know, you could you could be alarmed by the fact that Kentucky's had a bunch of these cold shooting um, games, or you could look at this fact, which I, I mentioned in the thing I wrote off of this game. They went two for twenty-two and one. They went two of fourteen against Eastern Kentucky and one. One of twelve from three against Utah Valley and one. Two of eleven against Fairleigh Dickinson from three and one. One of nine against Georgia and one. 
one of ten against Mississippi State and won. Mm. Um, so yep. that's that's uh, one, two, three, four, five, six wins when they made two or fewer threes in a game. Um, and a few of those against you know pretty good teams. real opponents, yeah, like real in Georgia opponents. and a Mississippi State. Yeah, overall they're eight and three this year in games where they shot thirty percent or worse from mm. three. Now the flip side of that is. It it has bit them a few times. I mean, you're playing with fire when you when you shoot any any volume at all. Some of those games you notice they didn't take a lot. You know, right. ten, nine, ten, eleven attempts. But when they shoot a bunch and miss a bunch, it's been a different story. They went four for seventeen in the loss against Evansville. Two for seventeen in the loss to Utah. Seven of twenty three. Other than Nate Sestina, Nate went what five of eight. Mm-hmm. The rest yeah, of the team goes two yeah. for fifteen. Against Ohio State. Uh, against Ohio yeah. State. Um, and then they go 5 for 15 in the loss to South Carolina. Um, so, you know, yes, it absolutely can bite you in the rear end uh, in the NCAA tournament. But I would just say the, the, the positive you take from this is that it's a yet another instance where they didn't shoot it well from three, but they did make other plays. They made defensive stops. The free throw thing continues to be – Remarkable, and I thought I had jinxed him because I wrote this big piece on right. free throw shooting yeah. and talked to Kyle Macy and talked to Emmanuel quickly about his approach. <laughs> yeah. Did some historical stuff, and they're you know this is Cal's best free throw shooting team ever, and they started horrible at the free throw line. Emmanuel quickly for the first time in the entire season missed multiple free throws. <laughs> yeah, uh, and I thought I was actually getting messages from like people at UK. <laughs> <laughs> like, are you, you kidding bastard. me? Yeah. <laughs> You've done it. Yeah. But then they closed the game by making 13 consecutive free throws. Mm. Eight straight yeah. in the last two minutes. Um, Emmanuel, Ten in the last five. Yeah. Emmanuel quickly is now 27 of 27 this season in the last three minutes of close games. Unreal. Nick Richards is now, who made four in a row down the stretch is now 25 of 29 in the last three minutes of close games. The seven-footer is 25 of 29. And as a team, they're now like 89% in the final three minutes of close games. And I swear I think it's somewhat contagious because Keon Brooks steps up there with a second and a half left, and he knocks down two. Yes, and he's he's started to make them. He was shooting a really bad percentage for the season, and he's made made some of those lately at the end of games. I mean – it's it is that you you as much as you can point to three point shooting as maybe like their Achilles heel come tournament time, the free throw shooting is so important um, in the NCAA tournament. I mean, and they just uh, yeah. time and again, regardless, and even regardless if they shoot it poorly earlier in the game, they have proven that at the end of games they're almost. I mean, you know, at this point, they don't they don't miss. I mean, they just don't miss. Um, that's across an entire year. They just have, I mean, they've played 25 games now and they just don't miss in that situation. That's, that's very, very big. And I think it says something about their team that they have that mentality. I mean, all of them, you know, Nick Richards said after the game, yeah, I want it. I want to step up to the line. I'm going to make them at the end of the game. Yeah. Uh, His percentage, by the way, that's 86% for the season in the final three minutes of close games, Nick Richards. Um, and, and he he had a 
a tough first half. I mean, coming into that game, uh, Hoops Insights had tweeted at us and said he's, you know, 88% at the rim, number one in the country, uh, field goal percentage at the rim. And he was two of five, uh, missed a couple ones, like one footer is what Calipari said. We were one of 10 from one, you know, one foot in or something like that. And yeah, it was, it was a problem. So, uh, then he finishes four, four of five in the second half, 16 points, seven rebounds, two blocks, uh, yet another, yeah. you know, this is the, I think 14th consecutive game where he's had at least seven rebounds. Yeah. Um, he, he's kind of unimpeachable at this point. You, you, there's right. There's no like, Oh, is this, was this all a mirage? Like no. we're well beyond that with Nick Richards. He's just a very good player who I think it also says something that they go to him at the end of games. They yeah. started throwing him the ball uh, towards the end. He was trying trying and succeeding to go up and score over double teams. Um, he's, a, he's a different dude. All right, we'll talk more about this. Uh, I'll give you some reason for concern uh, when we come back here on the Locked On Kentucky podcast. At Buffalo Trace Distillery, the world's most award-winning distillery, see 200 years of bourbon-making history in action. Smell the mash cooking. Touch the charred oak barrels aging in century-old warehouses. Hear the tales of bourbon legends, Taylor, Blanton, Weller, and Lee. And taste award-winning spirits at America's oldest continually operating distillery. Experience a tour for every taste. Buffalo Trace Distillery offers six unique complimentary tours seven days a week, year-round, like the popular Trace Tour. Or see Bourbon Pompeii and walk through history on the E.H. Taylor Tour. Visit the world's bourbon destination, Buffalo Trace Distillery. To learn more about the distillery's history and spirits, visit buffalotracedistillery.com. Mention that you heard about Buffalo Trace Distillery on the Locked On Kentucky podcast and get 10% off merchandise at the gift shop. You are Locked On Kentucky, your daily Kentucky Wildcats podcast. Okay, we're back here on the Locked On Kentucky podcast. And as we were going to break, we were, you know, discussing how the fact that Kentucky goes two for 22 and a positive is that they still are able to win a game. Now, I, I definitely think, and you, you brought up how many games they have won where they've shot poorly, uh, but, uh, I mean, their defense is going to travel. I mean, the defense is going to be there. The free throw shooting is going to be there. Those are some proven things. Uh, Nick Richards' post play is proven. What can hurt is, is that three-point shooting, and Kentucky doesn't want to take 22 three-pointers Calipari says he'd like to take about 16 you know he, he said he doesn't want to live and die by the three because when you have a bad shooting night you can't win however we have seen this play out before in 2010 against West Virginia in a zone with length and Kentucky kept jacking them up they kept missing them but they kept jacking them up Kentucky against Ole Miss had so many wide open threes that they missed. Like they weren't contested. They were wide open. They were they were there. They were there to shoot. Calipari gets mad at you if you're standing there wide open and got a great look and you don't shoot it. As long as it's not, you know, time score situation, five seconds into a shot clock and a, you know, two sec uh, one possession game late. You know, you know what I mean? So what can happen is, I think, uh, is you don't mean to do it. And then it just happens to you. But it happens against Baylor, and you're the four seed, and they're the one seed. And and you're having trouble scoring anything at all. And so you just keep taking these open looks, and you miss. And I guess Calipari basically says, if that happens, you're going home. And that's that's kind of how he, he plays it out. 
But what what do you think on on that? I mean, they had some really ugly shots that I can't really figure out. And uh, our, uh, I think it was um, the uh, Big Blue History site, one of the sites put out today, a crazy stat about Kentucky's historically bad home three-point shooting this season. Right. Uh, and then historically good against SEC opponents. And then historically good road three-point shooting. Yeah. It's like 27% at home and 43% on the road. Right. Yeah, just an outrageous disparity. I, and I guess that's not happened in a whole lot of past seasons, so I, we can probably chalk it up to being fluky. But it is. it does bring in a question. I mean, Rupp's one of the bigger arenas they play in. They don't practice there the way a lot of teams with on-campus arenas practice in their home arena. Um, it is strange. Um, I mean, Hagen's over five, Maxi over five, Emmanuel quickly one for eight. Um, and we'll talk more about him because I was really impressed with how he persevered even when right. he couldn't make a shot. Um, but I guess like my, some, my some, point is, or question is, is, um, do you think Calipari would do anything about it? You know what I mean? That it, it's just Calipari is like, well, He's he's content that if they shoot poorly, then you're going to lose those games sometimes, and that's going to happen. You know what I mean? So if that happens in the tournament, he kind of goes, yeah, well, that's what happens. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what you can do. But, I mean, certainly not in within this season. I don't know what you can do. I mean, you've got quickly who you think can make them. I mean, he's 40% for the season. Uh, you've got Juzang, who's increasingly making shots and, and finally broke the seal. I think I don't even know what they were over. Twelve, I think, before yes. Johnny Juzang made a yes. made the first three. He's starting to make them. You know that Sestina has made them over the course of the season. You've seen you've had games where Maxi hits three or four threes in a game. Um, I think I think Cal still believes they have enough shooting. Um, we've seen a you know mounting number of games where they don't. Um, yeah. but I I think. One of the reasons he doesn't want to get too hung up on depending on the three is because of that. You know, I think one of his big hesitations in, you know, uh, building a roster around three-point shooting, building an offense, you know, offensive style around three-point shooting is his fear of that. Um, yeah. And his and his understanding of the way game the game – it's almost like NCAA tournament basketball is not even the same sport as regular season – college basketball mm. you know i mean people tighten up you know yep. games are shortened um everybody's playing a little you know playing rightly in a way not to lose mm-hmm. um and you know in that style uh if you start bombing threes and and you have a cold night you're going home unless you you know but in Kentucky's style they can win just about any game no matter how they shoot it from three Um, And that, I mean, that's the one thing I would also point out about this season as Kentucky looked great. I mean, one of the reasons the Kentucky hate the the computers hate Kentucky, despite their strong record. And especially recently is because they margin, you know, they don't blow people out. They don't blow out bad teams. They don't blow out good teams that, you know, but I would also point out that they don't ever get blown out, um, that they're in every single game. Mm -hmm. Uh, they're they're They have a chance even in games when they don't shoot it well. They lost by three to Evansville. They lost by three to Utah. They lost by six to Ohio State, but they were within three points with a couple minutes to go. They lost by three 
to South Carolina on a banked in buzzer beater. Yeah. You know, and they were, it was a one point game with a couple minutes to go at Auburn. Um, they have basically come into the final minute or two of every game they've played this season with a chance to win. Um, and that's not, I don't think that's at all accidental. I think Calipari builds every year towards the style, you know, to the whole, the whole second season, which is right. the, the tournament. Um, and the fact that it is a different kind of game. And so, you know, I don't know. I don't, I don't know that anything can be done for this season. And I don't know that Cal would change anything if he could, because I think he likes the way he uh, structures his teams to compete in these sort of white knuckle um, yeah. postseason games. I, I guess my, um, my thought would be just, um, would you, if you're Calipari and you have that poor, like you go one of 13 in the first half. Well, Are you saying you just issue an executive order to stop right. shooting? You say, okay, yeah. Maxie, look, I trust yeah. Maxie. I trust Ma- Emmanuel. I trust Johnny to take these shots. I do. I've always trusted them all season. But if we want to advance, we need to stop shooting these. At yeah. halftime, just say, okay, guys, let's not settle for a three unless we really have to. Even if you got an open look, let's still look for a better shot. We got Nick down there. Maxie can drive. Ashton can drive. Quickly can drive. That's that's what I'm, I guess, getting at a little bit. But we can we can move on from that. We've we've uh, we've beat it to death there. Uh, I do think, um, uh, like what you were about to go into about uh, Emmanuel quickly, is yeah he goes one of nine in that first half, and he just doesn't quit. And he's he comes up huge down the stretch for him with how he played. Uh, what fourteen points in the second half, I believe. Yeah, uh, three of six in the second half after going one of nine, and then in the previous game, he was like two of nine before he hit those back-to-back three pointers. So that that mentality, that mental toughness, is going to take you far. And it's one of the reasons you don't tell him to stop. Yeah, you know yeah, because know. you you, yeah. you think if you've got real shooters, that eventually they start to drop. And um, he said as much after the game. He said the numbers will eventually balance out. Yeah, and you know, quickly goes. From can't buy a bucket, you know this for him historical event in the at the free throw line, having not missed two in a row, and then he or not missed two in a game, and then he does, um, and then he hits. I think when they made their move, he hit three straight shots, including his first three pointer. He hit seven of seven free throws to end the game. Go in his worst free throw shooting game of the year. He goes eight for ten. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah. May we all have such terrible days at the free throw line. Still finds a way to score seventeen. That's five straight games with at least seventeen points. Um, you know, he's basically averaging seventeen or eighteen since the Louisville game. Um, I, I'm so impressed by quickly. And then the other guy. Tyrese Maxey goes 0 for 5 from 3 and shoots a couple. He had a couple that were just like, it was like he forgot how to shoot. Didn't he airball um, one? Well, one, the one that, that ended up in the Montgomery, incredible Montgomery offensive rebound that he rips away from Kadeem Sai mm. and, and lands on his back and kicks it back out to Maxey, who scores a go-ahead uh, layup. Uh, on that one, it was wide open, and he fires it. Basically, it does a left turn at the basket, and like he's on the right side of the basket. The shot ends up bouncing high off the left side of the backboard. Right. I mean, it was about as bad a miss as you could ever have. Um, but but then he goes seven of eight inside the the, the arc. Uh, Maxie's floaters, his layups, his his um, sort of mid range stuff was all 
uh, money in that game. And he ends up with 14 points, five rebounds, three assists, and a steal. I was impressed by how he kind of went and got buckets at the end of the game that they needed, uh, including that that one to follow his own shot. And Calipari said, you know, two weeks ago he would have been jogging back the other way with his head down right. after such an embarrassing miss. Instead, he you know goes and gets it, finishes it, then goes down there and, and maybe most impressive of all has a, a, a defensive possession where he locks down Devontae Shuler for the entirety of the possession because Shuler decided that uh, he and not Brian Tyree was the best player on the team and never gave it up uh, in the final well, possession Tyree of the didn't game. didn't do anything to get it, though. That's true. That's true, too. Um, like and he, so, just, he was fine, like, standing by quickly. Quickly was, like, bodying him and – Tyree was just standing there letting it happen. Yeah, and that was with Ashton Hagens out of the game. And so you've you've lost mm-hmm. your best defender. Quickly D's up Tyree. And then Maxi just shadows uh Schuler, you know, chases him all over the place and then gives you know, stays on his feet and gives a great contest on a on a tough three that airballs out of bounds and that's the ball yeah. game. Uh, and earlier in the game, Maxi had this incredible steal where he sort of in one motion kind of almost flips it behind his head and hits Ashton Hagens in stride for a dunk. Yeah. Um, I, I have been really impressed and increasingly impressed by Maxie's um, attention to detail lately. You know, playing, you know, doing the other things, even if he's not scoring or even if his jump shot's not falling, he's defending. Um, he's starting to rebound a lot lately. Um, you know, to to go over five from three and still score fourteen points was impressive as well. I, I just I liked a lot about what I saw from Maxi and from Quickly in a game where they they were not hitting uh, their jump shots. Yeah, and I mean, what about Ashton Hagens? We'll discuss that as uh, uh, as well as Vince Marrow when we return here on the Locked On Kentucky podcast. This is Locked On Kentucky. Your team every day. Back here on the Locked On Kentucky podcast. And Kyle, I heard your question to John Calipari. Um, Ashton Hagen's turnovers, uh, it's its more than just, uh, you know, a couple games here now. Now it's become something, a pattern. Uh, and Calipari wouldn't even let you finish. He's like, I'm not worried. Least of our worries. Not worried about it. He's my point guard. He's my guy. Sticking with him. He usually, you know, makes the plays there late in the games. And it wasn't him today, but... Um, to Hagen's defense, as miserable as it was, one assist and three turnovers in the first half, that second half he just had one turnover. Uh, he was a little bit better that way. I mean, his defense was, um, you know, Excellent. I mean, he's still, he's still a good yeah. defender, yeah. Right. Uh, it's just he, he hit this slump last year, like yeah. right about this time, and didn't really pull fully out of it. Um and again, Calip, I mean, you, you hear like, I think Tony Barbie and maybe Kenny Payne as well have both, and maybe even Calipari have all mentioned minutes that he's playing so many minutes that maybe sometimes there's a lack of focus because it's so difficult to be locked in, super focused, you know, throughout 38 to 40 minutes, uh, which I can, I can understand that uh, and becoming a little weary, but I don't know how you fix that because you can't. You can't not have him on the floor right? Um, and, and give him those rests because uh, he is so valuable. So I, I think Kentucky's just got to hope uh, that he just cuts down on the decision-making, the poor decision-making a little more. If he could just cut that in half instead of, 
you know, five turnovers or six, if you could get that to, you know, two or three would be acceptable. Yeah, I mean, I, it, to me, Cal Perry's answer tells me that he is a little bit concerned um, because that's a delusional answer if that's actually how he feels. Like, there's nothing going wrong. <laughs> um, he's 3 of 11, 0 for 5 from 3, 6 points, 3 assists, 4 turnovers. Uh, over the last seven games, he's 39% shooting, and he doesn't stop shooting, by the way. Right, uh, and he's turned it over four times or more in five of those seven games. You know, the yes, I know he almost had a triple double with one turnover against Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt stinks, and he hasn't played a good game against anybody, anybody other than Vanderbilt since January twenty first against Georgia. Um, there's an issue, and Cal's answer was he's fine. He's the least of our worries. Ashton is my point guard, and I'm with him. The one thing I I know is he'll fight to win a game. He wasn't great at the end of this game, but he's very rarely does he make a mistake at the end. Usually he will come up with the ball or steal or rebound to win the game. Um, that's all fine. He's a great – like I'm not even addressing his defense. I think his defense has been great. It's always going to be great. But they, can, they can't go as far as they want to go with Ashton Hagens playing point guard the way he's playing it right now. Yeah. I mean, if anybody if if anybody thinks that you know on the offensive end, if anybody thinks that's true, uh, or that that that's not true, um, I don't know what you're looking at. I just he cannot. I, I I really like Ashton Hagens as a person, as a player. I think he gives everything he's got, but he has to play smarter as the as the uh, maestro of this offense. Yeah. Um, you know, Nick Richards needs to be getting the ball more. Um, you know, don't drive into the lane and jump in the air and then figure out what you're going to do with it. Right. I mean, none of these things are things that Calipari wants Ashton Hagens to do. So this idea that he's just in full support of what he's seen from him lately, I don't believe that at all. But I think the fact that he just quickly dismissed it, no, nah, I'm with him, I got, he's got all my support, that tells me he is worried about it because this is like I'm going to publicly stand with my guy, I'm not right. going to ding his confidence. Mm-hmm. I could see that. All right, let's move on to football before we run out of time here because we uh, we got to talk about Vince Merrill. Well, well, one more thing on basketball. We should mention that, and we'll get into LSU much more on tomorrow's podcast. But, of course, you probably already are aware, but Auburn losing at Missouri and LSU losing at Alabama on Saturday puts Kentucky in – Sole possession of first place in the SEC at ten and two, LSU nine and three, Auburn nine and three, a uh, bunch of other guys behind there. Uh, South Carolina now eight and four, by the way. Florida also eight and four. Miss State seven and five, and then Alabama, Tennessee, Texas A and M all six and six. So, but that's going to get tested immediately Tuesday, uh, obviously at LSU, uh, and we'll like I said, we'll discuss that much more on tomorrow's podcast. But let's get into Vince Merrill because that was over the weekend. We had already done our podcast by the time uh, Vince Merrill made his uh, announcement uh, early uh, Friday evening, late afternoon Friday. Uh, and then he spoke Saturday uh, to the media at halftime of the game, um, the Ole Miss game. And uh, I thought the, 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 the funniest comment anyway, the, the most interesting one is that he said uh, they ought to do a 30-30 on, on like what the conversations that coaches go through when 
when there's this like negotiation where you're thinking about leaving and somebody else is you know courting you. So he said it's not pretty. They're tough. Uh, but he said, you know, obviously very close with Mark Stoops. And he said, I think you can take friendship for granted both ways. Uh, he said, there's no doubt in my mind that he is a real good friend, Mark Stoops. And he shared with me why he did not want me uh, to move on. And uh, it would have been hard for me to leave him as well. And he said, it, it's, it's not like that a lot in this business where you have that kind of relationship. It's because they're both from the small town. They grew up together. And he said his uncle, meaning Mark Stoops' dad's brother, sent uh, Uncle Bob is who he is, sent him a text. And he said it was kind of like a mafia guy saying, you, you better keep your butt there. And he said it was jokes, but at the same time, there was something in there that he said was very touching. And he said his friendship with Stoops played a big part of it. Um, and that he kind of insinuated that the money uh, was enough that if it wasn't for that, Anyone else would have left. Like if he, if he and Mark Stoops weren't great buds, uh, the money was the offer was enough to go. Uh, and of course, he is friends with Mel Tucker. I don't know how that relationship developed, but they're they're buddies. And I, I mean, it all boils down to Michigan State wants to be in Ohio, and you know uh, their demise, uh, their decline, has been part of Kentucky's success recruiting Ohio. I mean, that's what it all boils down to, but. Uh, Vince Merrow, at the end of the day, he said he said he wouldn't wish this on anyone, meaning having to make this tough decision between his friend Mel Tucker and his and his friend Mark Stoops, which is ridiculous. <laughs> he wouldn't because wish he this. got a raise yeah, I out of it. I he wouldn't got a wish three hundred thousand dollar, at least three hundred thousand, maybe four hundred thousand dollar raise out of it. I wouldn't wish it on anyone that in the span of two or three years, someone double their salary to become almost an <laughs> annual millionaire. Give me yeah, a break, I, Vince. On the TV show that we would, <laughs> I would wish it on myself. Wish it on me. <laughs> yeah. Please. Wish it on me. Nah, I don't know. Forgive me if I don't really buy it. Just like I told you, don't I didn't buy that he was going anywhere. Like Yeah. Because he's got a great situation at Kentucky that is uh, you know, and yeah, maybe that sounds weird cuz we're like in this whole new realm of Kentucky football. But things are different now, and I'm not sure you could replicate what he's got going with Stoops here in Lexington anywhere else. I think the only place that makes sense for Vince Merrow to go would be Ohio State because I think that would resonate with him to be there. You know, if you grow up in Ohio, then Ohio State is kind of the gold standard. Um, you know, one of their guys, Jim Tressel, went to Ohio State, Youngstown guy as well. Mm-hmm. Um I would think that that would really mean something to him to be there, and then you know you can win the national title. Um, and at that point, nobody's getting anybody good out of Ohio. Uh, but Ohio State recruits nationally, so they don't even necessarily need that, you know. And they're going to get right. the best, best guys almost anyway. You know, they're the, like they're the only people who can beat Vince right now for Ohio State guys anyway. Um, and so that doesn't even really make sense. But going anywhere other than Ohio State when his strength is recruiting Ohio and that's what he really brings to the table. I mean, you know, no, no disrespect events at all, but like the Michigan state wasn't getting him to get a great tight ends coach. They weren't getting him to get an X and O guy. They were, they were after him to get Ohio players. Yeah. So what what are you willing to pay for that? Right. Tucker's a really good recruiter as well. I mean, for them two to team up together as recruiters, 
Uh, I think that's what they're looking at. That's the key to this. That's the key to our turnaround right. in Michigan State. But I can make a pretty strong argument that that would have gone worse for Vince than it would have gone for Mark Stoops. Because I think Kentucky yeah, continu- could continue to they could yeah. continue to recruit Ohio on the basis of play close to home in the SEC. Yeah. And the SEC is the standard in football. Uh, it is. And that has drawn so many guys to Kentucky that pitch because yeah okay yeah I'm an hour from home I'm two hours from home in Ohio but I'm in the SEC. Um, you're and not, Ohio State you're, you're doesn't not, want you, but playing in the SEC is better than playing at Michigan State, right? Right, I mean, you know, and that's the, the thing. Kind of, like yeah. you know, what, what's the what's the appeal to the Ohio kid to go to Michigan State over playing in the SEC if right. those are your options? And now you've got Josh Allen and Benny Snell and Lonnie Johnson, Lynn oh Bowden, gosh. yeah, Lynn Bowden <laughs> to, to, to point to uh, for you know guys who are success at a national level and, and guys that are now you know been drafted. Josh Allen got drafted uh, plenty high enough, you know. So the foundation is built there. Go ahead with whatever you were going to finish. On this. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm good. I uh, okay. I just I just think, you know, I think it's good for Kentucky. It's important that they kept him. Um, you'd rather keep him than not keep. Him. I mean, obviously they would. They paid him a ton of money. I mean, it's it's not like he was unimportant. I'm not dismissing that Vince was important. I think Stoops and Vince together are a potent combination that neither of them could fully replicate if they separate. Um, it was very important that he stayed. Uh, I just think I never thought he was leaving. Is, I guess what I'm trying to say, uh, and I don't think it was an agony for him. He was either going to go to Michigan State and get paid, you know, being with one of his other coaching buddies, or he was going to stay right here where he's happy and comfortable and get paid. <laughs> and so yeah. he got paid, and he doesn't have to move. Uh, and there's not a lot of agony in that. Good, good for Vince. He, you know, he's worth what he's worth. I would, I tweeted at one point. Just you got all this new SEC money, you know, pay all three coordinators: offensive, defensive, and recruiting. Those are your three coordinators, as it were. Pay them all a million dollars, and that's yeah, it. Yeah, because recruiting is as important as anything. And I, I do think Kentucky is better with Vince Marrow staying here. Sure. But I know I, the point I was going to make is the optics of it to the fan base of Vince Merrow leaving because Kentucky would not come up with the cash to match whatever uh, Michigan State was offering. The optics of that would have been worse than actually Vince Merrow just not being here. Yes, I, of- yes, I agree with that too. And that was I think Kentucky had to step up and make sure it wasn't a money thing because yeah. you don't want to be – you don't want to in, lose the PR battle of well, Kentucky just couldn't pay me enough. Right. Um, whether you, you like it or not, whether that recruiting trail too. Yeah, whether you like it or not, or whether that sits with you well or not, if you want to be a good football program, and certainly in the SEC, sometimes you have to be uh, the the first to the first to launch in the nuclear war. <laughs> you know, yeah. you've got to you've just got to say, okay, well, we got a big H bomb too. Um, and, and they did that. And so they did, they won the PR battle and they have kind of continuously won the PR battle, whether it's how real any of this stuff was, you say, Oh, we, you know, Georgia was interested in Eddie Grant and we kept him and, you know, Michigan and now Michigan state have come after Vince Merrow and they kept him. Um, you know, Mark Stoops has probably had some opportunities to go somewhere else and he hasn't, he seems happy as can be in Lexington. I, I think all that matters. We will, we will get into a bunch of stuff tomorrow. You know, not just the LSU game, but 
you know, talking about Kentucky's net ranking and and some of the teams that, you know, Kentucky beat their best non-conference wins and those teams lose over the weekend and how all that, you know, factors into things. And then looking at the stretch here for Kentucky, the remaining of uh, the regular season schedule and the opportunities that exist, all that stuff we'll dive into on tomorrow's Locked on Kentucky podcast. In the meantime, follow us on Twitter. You can ask us questions, make comments. We'll try to address them on here. I am at D-R-I-E-F-F-E-R and Kyle is at Kyle Tucker underscore A-T-H. Have a great Monday, everyone. Thanks for listening. You are locked on Kentucky. Available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or tell Alexa or Google to play podcast Locked On. Don't worry, I won't finish. You get the idea.